Hi, everybody. This is Kara Fitzgerald. New Frontiers in Functional Medicine is here every month, bringing you the best minds in functional medicine. And we would not be able to do this over the years without the generous contributions from our sponsors, Metagenics, Integrative Therapeutics, and Biotics Research. The mission of Metagenics is to lead the movement in making personalized nutritional intervention the standard of care in the treatment and prevention of disease and the promotion of optimal health. For over 30 years, Metagenics has been dedicated to scientific discovery, innovative products, unparalleled quality, education, and practitioner partnerships to support lifestyle functional nutrition. For more information, visit Metagenics at metagenics.com. Biotics Research. For four, over 40 years, the foundations of biotics research has been innovation and quality. Their goals remain unchanged. Innovative ideas, carefully researched concepts, and product development with advanced analytical and manufacturing techniques. Biotics nutritional products are of superior quality and effectiveness and available exclusively to healthcare professionals. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com. Integrative Therapeutics is focused on inspiring a better lifestyle through better health. By providing meticulously formulated nutritional supplements and valuable resources, Integrative Therapeutics promises to enrich your patients and embolden your practice. Welcome to your Integrative Therapeutics. Find them at integrativepro.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine. And today is certainly no exception. I am so excited to once again be with Dr. Terry Walls. She's an inspiration to me. She's a mentor, um, a colleague, a friend. Um, anyway, let me give you her background. I know you know who she is, but let me just give you a little bit of her background, and then we're going to just jump right in. She's clinical professor uh, at University of Iowa, where she conducts clinical trials, testing the efficacy of therapeutic lifestyle to treat multiple sclerosis-related symptoms. In addition, she's the author of The Walls Protocol, How I Beat Progressive MS Using Paleo Principles and Functional Medicine, uh, as well as the cookbook, The Walls Protocol, Cooking for Life, the revolutionary modern paleo plan to treat all chronic autoimmune conditions. She's got... Lots of research in the works that we're going we're, we're to talk about. She's been conducting, you know, research for the, for the, for the entirety of her career. Um, she, and she herself, obviously, is, um, a, you know, a, has MS and has uh, recovered from that. And so, and, and she's got some new publications coming out. So we're going to, Terry, welcome to New Frontiers. I'm, I'm looking forward to jumping in here and picking your brain for the next hour or so. <laughs> Thank you so much. Always so glad to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. So as I was reading um, your notes and, and, and just thinking about our conversation today, the first thing that, that came up for me was just how grateful I am. I'm a clinician, a naturopathic physician by training and a clinician and um, have just finished my first research study in using a, a therapeutic lifestyle intervention, a diet and lifestyle program. And you were one of the first people we reached out to to um, help us on this journey of how the heck do I, as a clinician, conduct research? And now we're actually, we're done with the study and we're writing up our findings and it's incredibly exciting. It's a little overwhelming, but I just have you to, you know, you're one of the key people to thank and I, I appreciate you making time for us. You know, uh, I, I so want to have uh, more of the functional medicine community comfortable doing research, 
comfortable contributing to the um, body of published peer-reviewed literature that we could all use for my grant applications uh, <laughs> to grow uh, the confidence that what we're offering is re it meets you know therapeutic rigor. Yeah, yeah, it works. What we say we're doing and we're actually doing. We're getting people better and here's how. Give me, so, um, you, you know, just from what we were talking about a few minutes ago, like some advice. So there's a lot of clinicians listening to this. Oh, yeah. We all want to participate. I know we all do, especially those of us in functional medicine. We're sort of geeky at heart and want to. Yeah. So tell us, how do we do it? So uh, the, here's the sequence that uh, the innovations really occur. You have a, a clinician who makes an interesting observation and writes up the single case report. And then you have the clinician who makes the observation and has a little case series. Uh, and so you have your clinical vignette. And mm -hmm. then in the case report of the case series, you put it in the context of that disease state. I describe your case, and then you have a discussion. I, and you know, some really vital um, observations have, have been discovered that way. Thalidomide, uh, the reason we're able to understand that thalidomide was teratogenic were some astute clinicians wrote case reports. Wow. And that had a profound public health consequence. And it, it was, you know, and I was, had been doing research for decades in diagnostic error using secondary data analysis. It was my huh. chair of medicine who, when he saw me recover, said, Terry, you have to get a case report written. Wow. And I said, like, on me? He said, yes, on you. Uh, you'll work with your treating medical team, your physical therapist, and get that written up. That's your assignment for this year. Wow. 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 And so it's like, well, okay, I guess I have to do that. Oh my God. Um, so that, that was sort of a so complicated cool. task. As I'm working on it, he calls me back and says, and here's another assignment. I want you to write up a protocol and do a little safety study. See if anyone else could, can do what you did. Wow. Uh, and so that, that takes me about a year to get that done. In the meantime, we had a little um, case series that my treating uh, physical therapist did. Uh, uh, it, in his cases, so we had a case report, then a case series, the protocol, that all got written up, but that took, it took me about a year. And then I had to go find about $100,000 to do the study. And that was deal. a little trickier. That was a little trickier. Yeah. But, you know, the one thing I, I, I do have uh, is, you know, the persistence and you just keep working at the problem uh, and I was able to get an in-kind donation for electrical uh, therapy devices. Uh, and a, I reached out to um, the Canadian who had inspired me to uh, utilize the paleo diet the first time, uh, uh, Ashton Embry. And he had me come up to speak uh, uh, in Calgary. Uh, and I told my team, because we, we, we were working on getting approval for the study. We didn't have approval yet. We didn't have money. It was like, how, the, how on earth was I going to get this done? So, you know, when I go to Canada, I'll come back with money. So you set some intention too. Yep. I said, you know, <laughs> when I go up to Canada, somehow that's going to result get in getting money. Uh, and so that I got $50,000. Uh, and so then the university, uh, I found a PhD student 
who, uh, and then uh, undergraduate students who wanted to work in our lab. And then my uh, chair of medicine and chief of staff said, Terry, we'll give you two days a week unfunded time. You won't have to be in clinic. They'll be working on your study uh, to do this. So the University um, of the VA uh, gave me time resources, which is th the most valuable. Yeah. The university uh, gave me a way to access undergraduates to volunteer in the lab and a PhD student yeah. to help run the study. And so we did this landmark study with uh, $50,000 of in-kind supplies from the electrical therapy uh, device and $50,000 of uh, pilot funding from uh, the MS uh, group, um, Ashton Embry's group, a direct and MS charity. What, what, what is the, uh, the device? What is the brand? Uh, it, it was, uh, the company was Empy, which was bought out by DJO, and then DJO decided to get out of electrical therapy devices. Oh, okay. And so uh, now uh, there are other devices uh, that we use and, uh, and talk about. Uh, and so it, it does take a, a lot of resourcefulness to figure out. I mean, intervention studies are, are, are really expensive. Yeah. A uh, survey-based study, a, um, uh, uh, that's fairly inexpensive. Case report, case series, very inexpensive. That's it's just your time. It's just your time. Yeah. Uh, and finding, you know, someone, um, uh, uh, a academic person like me to be a potential collaborator that's like, you know what, Terry, I've got 20 cases uh, where we use the WALS protocol that I'd like to write up. Could you or your postdoc put it in context and I'll give you the summaries? Okay. Now, you know, so there are ways of finding a IFM collaborator who can yes. provide some of the context. If you provide here are the little vignettes in the, in the case stories yes. to write these up. We'll all help, folks. I mean, I know, Terry, you made yourself very available to us early on and, and, and gave us a lot of tips that, just, and, you know, and really, honestly, too, just the confidence, just the shout out. This is a really cool idea. You guys go. Just that alone it it, means, worth it meant a lot. A lot. <laughs> to, to know, like, yes, I, 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 yeah. I should do this. I, I'll yeah. give it a whirl. Yeah. The other thing I just want to point out, because I'm not, you're in an academic setting, so you've got some benefit. But me, just as a clinician, I, wanted, I just want to tell the folks who are interested, other functional medicine clinicians, reach out to IFM as well. And we all, everyone, every, all the faculty, the IFM as a whole is really committed to putting evidence behind what it is we're doing big time. I mean, we know that. We know that from the Cleveland Clinic Landmark, you know, JAMA Network study right. that was just published. We're all completely chuffed about that. And, and so um, do that, reach out, and all of us will help you as much as we possibly can. And I'm thinking about me and, and it, as a clinician, um, having the support of, well, Romilly, who's my nutrition director, uh, great writer. And, you know, I brought on, I have some nutrition interns in my practice, actually. We've got a nutrition residency program. So they're not they're not postdocs, but we've reached out to some of the local, some not local, some of the universities nationally, and it, who are who yeah. are training CNSs, and there are people that you can kind of bring on into your clinic practice who might also be able to help you. So not if you're if you're not in an academic setting like like Terry is, there's a way that we can still do this. And if you're not a science writer, you know, still, and you want to do this, and you can pull together the time, also again reaching out to us will. 
you know, we, we're going to need to put together some sort of a clearinghouse of support Correct. to get IFM clinicians. And what we yeah. want to do is collect uh, um, relative case series, uh, uh, yeah. case reports or case series that in uh, having a conversation uh, about how we construct a case report case series. And, you know, there might be an interesting little um, uh, um, series of lectures or podcasts yeah. to get people who've done case reports and case series uh, to talk through that. Uh, so yes. I, I encourage you to think about that, Kara. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, did, I published a book of case. Where is it? Where is my book kicking around? Anyway, back in 2011. Um, I can't remember case studies in integrative and functional medicine. I published a book on it, and so I'm very much in support of it. I absolutely agree with you. Just collecting our N of ones Correct. and pulling them together, and, you and know, starting it. And uh, for me, as a as a grant writer, getting case series that are disease specific, because most of us have to write grants that are disease specific, because that's how the funding is. Yeah, uh, and so. Although I like studying uh, based on the intervention, um, I have to write grants based on the disease state. So if you, could, if you collect your case studies as here's my uh, case series of uh, integrative approaches in functional, in um, clinically isolated syndrome, what happened? Or optic neuritis, here's what happened. Or uveitis, here's mm -hmm. what happened. Uh, that uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, more helpful to me. Um, it's, it, it makes it easier for us to build the uh, quality of evidence that says we should change the standard of care for that disease state. Yeah. So I'd encourage the, the, uh, your listeners to focus on a disease state and collect case series around that particular disease state. Perfect. Okay. And, and again, anybody who has questions, just ping us and um, I'll reach out to Terry for responses and, you know, we can circle in IFM for anybody who, yeah. who wants that. Um, the other thing that I wanted to just point out too, Terry talked about getting funding from the um, electrical device company. We are generally working with supplement companies. Um, we all have reps. We're working with different specialty labs. We've got reps there as well. By all means, if you're using a particular product and seeing a nice outcome with it, tap, tap the company, tap the rep see if you can get their support um, at any level, if, if, even if it's, you know, just a product donation or do they have any tech staff that can help you with writing? I mean, just correct. They're going to be really excited about contributing to this as well. And in-kind donation is, is incredibly helpful uh, uh, to make it easier for your participants to... Um, what does that uh, mean, in-kind donation? In-kind donation means instead of giving you dollars, they're giving you uh, a product. So oh, okay. my electrical therapy company gave us uh, 20 devices and the lead wires and the uh, electrical pads. So they, every, every participant had supplies for a year. And then they had to give us the device at the end. At the end, we ended up having to ship all the devices back. Hmm. But, you know, that saved me $50,000. Wow. Yeah. And the $50,000 that we got from, uh, 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 direct MS charity meant that I could pay for the supplements, reimburse people for cost for their supplements, uh, uh, charted supplements, and it let me uh, pay for the safety labs that I was required to obtain um, so I could run the study. 
Nice. You know, and the other thing that people may not realize is for a number of the studies, I paid out of pocket, you know, many thousands of dollars to do this, do my studies because, you know, I, 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 I believe that much now, but keep in mind my first study, you know, that was a hundred thousand dollars between in kind uh, and my, the safety labs and supplement costs. Uh, the study that I just ran is a million dollars. The next study I'd like to run is $2 million uh, <laughs> because it, you know, as the studies get larger and you have a, a bigger N, it's, it's, it's a whole lot more money. We're going to, and everybody wants to hear about all of your, your studies. I'm going to get there in a second. Um, we're, in fact, we're almost there when I look at my question list here. Um, but I, I want to just, so we, we talked, I guess we talked when your cookbook came out. It was after the Walls Protocol sort of rocked our world. <laughs> um, and the Walls Protocol, is, you, you published that five years ago? 2014, yes. 2014. 17th. That's amazing. All right. So what have you learned? Like what's, what, what, just update well, us from that and, and what you're doing. Yeah, go ahead. So uh, that book came out just as I was finally getting uh, data from my first study published. And, and, I'll, and, you know, it was enormously difficult for me to get data from my first study published. Uh, we had many, many rejections. Uh, and that is absolutely typical. Another important uh, lesson. Brilliant new innovations. Uh, many of your people have heard of Barry Marshall, the guy who said H. pylori is the root cause of gastric ulcers, who couldn't get his stuff published at first. And, they, and uh, he got published in two really low impact, almost zero impact journals, tiny, tiny little regional journals. He credits getting acceptance because this very reputable journal uh, put an article in that was buried in, uh, I think, the January um, 10th edition of the National Enquirer. Huh. <laughs> and the headline was, Dr. Experiments on Self Finds Miraculous Cure for Stomach Ulcers. <laughs> Good. Good. A nice, and uh... that generated a, a fair amount of lay interest, yeah. which then ultimately led to... Um, more acceptance and interest in the scientific community. And 25 years later, he gets a Nobel Prize in medicine. And he finally wow. uh, gets um, a little more rigor and a little more money and uh, is, you know, is successful in his research domain. That's such a great anecdote now, from uh, National Enquirer to Nobel. And absolutely, this is the trajectory of medicine. We have a very hard time seen any except anything that that falls outside of our current construct of how we understand the world and that's just yeah. as true of you and i as it is of our conventional colleagues we understand the world yeah. and so anything that doesn't fit into that we we have a hard time seeing or we'll discount it or it's just invisible to us yeah right and that's how we we all we all manage the everyday aspects of, of our life. It's incredibly well, hard to see new stuff. I'm, is there anything that comes so for those for so so those of us in functional medicine? Is there anything you can think of off the top of your head that we're too myopic on that you'd like to see us expand on? I'm curious if you've pondered well, I'm sure that. that um, it's really hard to see what you don't expect to see. Yeah. So uh, we always have to remember that. 
when your patient doesn't do well, mm. when you have an unexpected result, mm -hmm. um, thinking deeply about why did it happen that way? Is there, what, what is there? Yeah. What, why is that happening? And particularly if you see that happening a couple times, there is a tremendous insight there that will be incredibly hard for you to figure out because it's not expected. So David Jones used to talk about hitting the wall with patients. You know, someone's not getting better. They're not getting better, not getting better. Uh, and thinking about uh, why is that? What am I missing? Because I, I'm really good at seeing what I expect to see. I am terrible yeah. at seeing what I don't expect to see. So o over time, I have uh, some of the things that I've, uh, that I've learned to appreciate more and more is um, the reason people don't do well, in, in, in my experience, is isn't, it's not, it has very little to do with, did I get the right test? Did I get the right supplement? Did I do the right workup? It has far more to do with, did I connect with the patient? Did I um, resonate with them so that they understood um, the disconnect between diet, lifestyle that they're having and the health they want to achieve so that they're actually willing to do the experiment of embracing a therapeutic diet and lifestyle? Because uh, when I started doing a gluten test in the urine and stool for my failures, uh, nearly always there's gluten in, in the urine and stool. And so the person is not uh, as thorough as they think they are in getting their diet clean. Mm -hmm. That was like such a phenomenal breakthrough. I used to think like, you know, I hadn't done, I, I, I was missing something. And what I was right. missing was the person was not as thorough as they had thought. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, gluten, I think I go to the restaurant and I order a gluten-free meal. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm confident that, that, you know, it's labeled gluten-free in the menu. It should be. 40% of the time, it is not. And you're buying gluten-free products and it's labeled gluten-free on the label. And depending on the product, 20 to 80% of the time, there's gluten in the product. All right. So then I guess that begs the question. And then I'm going to circle you back to where you're up to updating us, but this begs the question in your studies, when you've got somebody on a therapeutic diet and lifestyle program, I mean, are you, are you simply having them cook at home for the duration well, and not buy um, processed foods or eat so, out? I mean, how are you controlling so, that? So uh, here in the study, we, we educate them on the diet. Mm -hmm. um, we give them support. Uh, and then at, uh, up until now, we've had no measure of because we, we have self-reported um, food frequency questionnaires, uh, self-reported uh, data on either a 24-hour dietary recall or a weighed food record. Yeah. And so people can still manufacture inf information. I don't have biomarkers. Right. I now have poop in the stool. I have, I have poop in the freezer. So I could go back and look. That's more right. money I, that, that I don't have yet. Um, so that'd be but a future study to go back. I, I could go back and look at, okay, uh, was there poop in their stool or not? In my next study, we'll be collecting urine and blood and stool. It will be freezing it so we could go back uh, and look. That's going to be great to have the money. You know, I was just talking to um, Helen Messier, actually, 
just personally chatting with her before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, Steve Horvath, who, who came up with the epigen, you know, the, put, put the epigenetic, the DNA methylation um, biological clock on the map. So he was noticing that diet, a healthy diet, actually lowers biological age, no great surprise. But he, he also observed that those doing recall, there was no significant reduction, only when he looked at actual blood levels. So blood blood carotenoids, yeah. for instance, as the surrogate marker of, you know, vegetable intake. In that population, those with the highest carotenoids actually did have a slight but significant reduction in biological age. So I think it's great that you've got those specimens. And it's actually also really amazing that you've gotten significance, you know, even prior to having those specimens. Well, we, we, um, we did look at carotenoids uh, in the freezer from all the studies that we've done so far. And we can certainly show that uh, at baseline and then uh, after the intervention period, the serum carotenoid radically changes. And of course, that's no surprise. If you actually implement the diet, your that's carotenoid right. intake has radically changed. Yes. I've not yet gone back to look at uh, gluten uh, intake. I don't have urine all the way through, unfortunately. I don't have stool in all of the previous studies. My current study, we, we have stool. Um, so we'll be able to go back and look at that. Uh, and I really think exciting. There'll be a time when we can look at uh, metabolites in the urine, blood, and stool, uh, because what I think is the the driver for the the mechanism as to why health is improved, uh, it's the um, bacteria, uh, it's the micro uh, and the biome uh, in our gut that's taking the food that we're eating, metabolizing it, and those byproducts getting into our bloodstream, that's what's changing our health status. Uh, and so it's probably a mix of what I'm eating, the genes I have, the microbes I have, that creates the metabolites in my bloodstream that leads to the health I have. So the more we can analyze the metabolites and how the metabolites change, then I'll have a better idea of knowing, did people change their diet or not? Because mm-hmm. I could get metabolites at baseline, metabolites at the end. Yeah. I, and then we'll know, did I change um, the metabolites and how well did they actually adhere to the dietary recommendations? Yeah. And I, I've learned to sp- spend a much more time on uh, helping people understand the behavior of change, uh, food addictions, making sure that uh, I relate the mechanisms of, you know, get, so that whole behavior change process, uh, we have the uh, science of behavior change, you know, pre-contemplative, contemplative, uh, you know, decision-making actions, and then you know, can you sustain it? I've created a much more detailed uh, behavior analysis map that uh, is the process I've used in my clinics and my clinical trials uh, that takes people through the inspiration, teaching them the mechanisms, uh, engaging their purpose, their meaning. Uh, so I break it down in a much more granular way. So I can wow. teach that to my, the clinicians that I'm now training. Because okay. the reason people succeed or not is right there. Wow. It's, it's that whole process of behavior change. So, yeah. So if people want to learn this, because my first inclination is to say, do you have a PDF download I can put on our show notes? But I suspect 
No, it's, no. It's, I know. I know. You got to come work with me. I know. I know. I get it. It's, it, I, I get it. I can hear the, um, sort of the gravitas, the experience behind that statement. It's huge. So if people want, if clinicians listening want to really learn this, this pivotal piece, it, you have, you have a training program and that we, we have, can link to we have a, the, we have a training program that uh, and, um, I keep getting more and more um, impressed that this is the critical step. Yeah, is how we help people understand why to make the change and how because our our brains are wired such that I'm very attuned to the pleasures I have today. It's very hard to give up pleasures today for a future theoretic benefit tomorrow. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. That's not how we had reproductive success as a species. We right. have reproductive success because we eat food because it tastes good and we have sex because it feels good. Yeah, right. And so it's, actually it's, going against our evolutionary urges. So if, if you don't attend to those two things, you won't have reproductive success. So immediate pleasures will always outweigh future benefit. Therefore, this, this is an extraordinary task we're asking people to do. Right. Uh, so uh, I have more and more appreciation for it, uh, more and more attention to how uh, to use evolutionary biology, behavior change psychology, food addiction, positive psychology, to make that a very granular process to teach people how to do that as clinicians, to teach people how to do that as patients. Wow. Gosh, Terry, that's awesome. Are you going to write about that in your new book? I was going to say. I do talk about that a lot in my new book, uh, and we talk about it and practice it a lot at my seminar. Okay. I want to know a little bit. I mean, can you give me a little something on this? Can you give me a well, little bit yeah, of a pearl? So, like- so, so the, the, the big thing is, and we probably sort of know this, that uh, part of it is I have to have an inspiration. I have to, to see the possibility Yes. That, that recovery might be possible. Yeah. I have to have metaphors that can be culturally appropriate. So I'm talking to my farmers. I do a lot of agricultural metaphors. I'm talking to plumbers. Then I'm talking, then I'm using plumbing metaphors. I'm talking to a homemaker. I'm using a homemaker metaphor. So you have to really understand the audience of the person you're, you're dealing with uh, to have metaphors that can relate to them. They're inspired because they see your healing. They, they see I, I healing. would imagine. They I hear would have, about yeah. uh, healing from uh, their, their colleagues. I use metaphors that, that resonate for them. I also learned uh, from the VI groups, behavior change is not a uh, solo sport. It's a team sport. Uh, Yeah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this content, you might want to know about our functional medicine clinic immersion programs available to all qualified practitioners who want to advance their applied clinical skills and build confidence in helping even their toughest cases. Delivered fully online, our program provides live mentorship option, access to our clinic's discussions of real patient cases, teach-ins with expert colleagues, and the opportunity to become part of an engaged and nurturing community of peers. Most importantly, you'll get the support you need to bridge the gap between functional medicine theory and practice. Please visit drcarefitzgerald.com, choose the Professionals tab, and select Professional Education Programs to find out more about the options available and to apply. And now back to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine.
So are your study populations com connected? I mean, do they become a community? Are they helping well, each other or what? I, I mean, how are you doing that? So the, the, uh, my previous studies, we tried to figure out how to do it as a team. I couldn't get anything through the IRB that worked. And the current study that uh, I have in front of the IRB right now, um, we proposed a uh, team uh, model uh, and a uh, monthly uh, team support interaction. Now I am waiting. Uh, the IRB has met. They have their list of required actions that I'll have to do. I haven't yet gotten my minutes, so I, I don't know yet what they are. I'm hoping to get those. They told me I'd have them this week. They didn't show up, so I'm hoping next week. And then we can begin doing whatever it is we need to do. Um, so, so anyway, I, I'm hopeful that I'll be in a position to be re begin recruiting for the study in January. We'll, wow. we'll see if I can uh, uh, be ready to do that. I'm hopeful. Good. Exciting. Well, you can update us at the AIC. We'll see you yes, in uh, Yes, May. hopefully at AIC, I'll be talking about uh, the study and asking people to help me recruit. Awesome. Actually, I'll be talking about our one that we just completed. Yes, I have a little. I have a little bit right of time. You, so. Oh, you are. Oh, sweet. Okay. We're we're we're, we're in the same. We'll, in the we'll same see each breakout. other. <laughs> we are fabulous. Um. So, I. Uh, what else do I want to ask you? I just so just continuing on this behavior conversation. I first of all, thank you for underscoring how exquisitely important it is, not just you know in your research and and as a clinician. Like, it, how about how how much how motivating is pain, like, and how how motivate you know is the you know actually I, I talk a lot about this is part of the sequence. I, 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 we really need to teach people how to uh, embrace their biosensors. That um, hopefully uh, people will have a biosensor that might relate to pain, or vision, or mood, or something they can see in their skin. That when the biosensor is turning on, there's a symptom that they can detect. So now they're getting feedback like, okay, things are not going well, I have to improve. I'm gonna to have to either improve my diet, my lifestyle, going to get meds, I gotta do something mm -hmm. because my, my biosensor is turned on. In educating people about identifying a biosensor that they could monitor, what is the intervention that they could use when their biosensor is turning on? Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, and I relate this back to my story that I had 27 years of my biosensor with my trigeminal neuralgia turning on, getting relentlessly worse, uh, and, but I didn't know wh what that meant or what I could do when it starts turning on. Once I finally learned that there were things I could do when it's beginning to turn on, and what's the earliest signal that I could get? Yeah. Completely transformative. Oh, it's amazing. So helping people, that's a very powerful part of the uh, behavior change sequence that I use is uh, educating people about biosensors. Yeah. Helping them identify their biosensor. Helping them identify what's the earliest signal that they could pick up. Yes. And then helping them identify when it's, when my biosensor is training on, what are the tools I have in my toolkit to address that biosensor? Yes. So again, this is all highly individualized. Yes. 
Yeah. Uh, and we want people to be able to learn. You know, and again, uh, uh, and I talk about how I've learned over time that, you know, so my biosensor is very clear. Uh, I'm getting earlier, better at detecting when it's earlier and earlier. I miss yeah. earlier. And I'm learning um, how to expand my toolkit of what to do. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, because I'm, I'm getting more mature. Uh, and so I, I'm recognizing that my detox pathways are, you know, slowly getting to be a little more decrepit, as my mother would say. <laughs> old and decrepit, so I have to take better <laughs> care of myself. So now I have to be very careful to always uh, make sure my detox pathways are good. And I have to manage how many uh, hours of flight time I have in a month. Mm, wow. Yeah. If I have too many hours of flight mm -hmm. time, my biosensor turns on. Um, and, um, you know, how many uh, uh, saunas I have to get in each week. Yeah. So, so again, right. that's a very nuanced conversation. Very nuanced. Yeah, very nuanced. But, and is your... But if, you, if you can get your patients tuned yeah. on... Yep. to their biosensors, now they're much more willing to do whatever uh, therapeutic interventions you've outlined, which might yeah. include, in fact, prescription drugs, mm -hmm. or might not. Yep. Yep. But we, I, we, as a species, we don't do, we don't give up uh, today's pleasures for future benefits, lightly. We can give yeah. up today's pleasures for avoidance of pain in the very near future. If I, so if I can link to your biosensor why you wanna do the stuff we, we've agreed that you wanna do, I've dramatically made it more, li more likely that you can be, succeed. Ugh, so so but extraordinary. It, but if I just told you, I want you to do all this for future benefit, I've made it dramatically harder. Yeah. And in fact, I think when we set the bar too high without the adequate support, you know, let alone the kind of granular, you know, fine tooth archaeological dig that you're doing, we can lose them and we can, Absolutely. and we can lose them to this whole, this whole model that has the power to actually make a difference. Correct. Correct. And you will lose them. And, 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 and we need to own the fact that biologically we are wired that way. That's how we had yeah. reproductive success. Yeah, because sex feels good, food feels good. We have reproductive success. Yeah, and yep. any any if you had a genetic mutation that made sex less attractive and food less attractive, those genetic variants disappear. Right, right. You know, I'm thinking about the biosensor idea, and I have a patient with anterior uveitis, and we did discover it's like a prodrome. She would feel sort of like sand in her eye. And so, she, and so she would hop on a protocol. And if she did it soon enough, we could stop that, which is incredible. And then we actually discovered that dusting could actually trigger this sand, this prodrome that would ultimately, you know, kick into a flare. Is that kind of what you're talking? Is that an this example? This is exactly what we're talking about. And so we, so, so husband, hubby needed to take over the dusting or, you know. So, what, and the more people can, can really dial in and learn and pay attention to this, yeah. They'll keep getting better and better and better and better. Yeah, just she just went back and back. Okay, so this is the sensation. And then, okay, so what triggers the sensation? And of course, for her, it was extremely surprising that dusting 
could be result in this flare. I mean, it was it was it was quite a, a dot in a, a, a connection, but it made a huge it's, difference. It's a huge aha. Yeah. And you go from being helpless uh, and hopeless to feeling confident and powerful and purposeful, yeah. purposefully driven. Yeah. And now, yes, I can do this. Yeah. And things and, that seemed really hard become much easier. And it's pretty extraordinary that you're actually noticing with flying that you're having that and noticing the benefits as, as quickly and as, you know, that you're connecting the dots around sauna and doing detox. Like I know in the abstract, it's good. And I know in the abstract that flying a whole lot is bad, but you know, you've tuned your biosensors to it. And I think, well, you know, really. And this is sort of interesting, Curtis. Um, so I've 27 years of relentless worsening of trigeminal neurologists. So yeah, that, that's a, a difficult history. Yeah. But now, interestingly enough, I'm actually very grateful for my trigeminal neurologist. Right. Because I've learned so much. And I have this incredibly sensitive biosensor of the inflammation level in my microglia. Yeah. And this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And the other, it's the other thing that's sort of interesting is so I, I feel, follow my telomeres. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that, um, so you'd sort of think uh, progressive MS, my telomeres should probably be like 10, 15 years older than my stated age because that's, you know, progressive MS. That's just what you expect. Yeah. But I'm 12 years younger than, than you know, uh, biologic age. Woohoo! Or biologic <laughs> age. Uh, and, and that's because I got so tuned in to my biosensors and I'm still taking care of my microglia. That's awesome. Well, listen, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to continue to uh, keep uh, paying, you know, very close attention to my trigeminal neurologist. So actually, I'm now immensely grateful uh, that I have that biosensor. It's good. It's, yeah, it's just, it's great. It, it's extraordinary. I, and well, and I guess just listening to you, so you're working with patients primarily who have MS or a neuro, I, I don't know if you've expanded yeah. beyond other, and you're working with other neurodegenerative conditions at this point. So in my clinic, um, uh, serious autoimmune issues and neurologic issues are really the people that I see. Okay. In my clinical trials, uh, we'll be seeing people with MS and clinically isolated syndrome. I'm wondering, well, I'm wondering about for, you know, I'm relatively healthy you know, I, tapping into my biosensors, you know, as a preventative. I guess I'm just throwing that out there as a sort of oh, yeah. thought that I'm pondering that would be, because so, what you're saying is... Yeah, you'll certainly w- want to have something, and so you might think yeah. about that. Your yeah. biosensor might be, uh, if you're doing uh, workouts, you might discover like, you know, but my workouts are easier or they're harder, right. or that my morning energy is better or not. Right. Or that my ho- my husband is less annoying or more annoying, right? Yeah, so that's maybe right. Maybe these, these sort of subtle things that you can see in your t- yep. uh, task of daily life, mm-hmm. uh, and it may be that your spouse is the one who says, you know, carrot. I, I can tell that your um, your bags on your eyes are more bluish now versus uh, last week. <laughs> or that you seem to be a little sharper today yeah. as opposed to last week. So it can be a little conversation mm-hmm. with your spouse as to what they're noticing. Yeah. 
that makes it that makes absolute sense i get that in fact actually i did notice today i was out on my bike and i was a little bit moodier and so i was doing some some kind of self introspection around yeah what was you know, actually going on yeah my my daughter was uh, admitting that you know my mood definitely tracks my uh greens intake oh, isn't that fascinating wow and you know i think it's pretty huh. cool that a 25 year old is yes. you know That's we've been savvy. talking about all this stuff and she was just volunteering for me like yep it's definitely true. I, 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 I can see it. <laughs> and of course, if I, Jackie and I have noticed that for quite some time, but it, it would never be impactful for us to make that kind of observation. No, it's it very not. impactful for her to find say, you know what, I have noticed this. And uh, so I'm making a much more concerted effort to be sure that I'm getting all those greens in. I want to just say, I got a couple uh, this has been just a delightful, unexpected conversation <laughs> that we took today. But one of the things we did in our study that was really helpful is we've had, we had our nutrition, we have this nutrition residency program here. So we've got a lot of nutritionists who are, super, are very eager to learn and, and, and they jumped in and they coached our participants in our study. And it was a pretty rigorous diet and lifestyle program. And that content, those touch points that were happening at least weekly, and in a variety of different mediums, whatever the participants wanted, be it an app or the phone or a Zoom meeting or email, what, or phone, just whatever worked, um, it, it was huge in the success, I think. So the, we did it through HealthGot Institute. They were our, our CRC and our co-PI. Ryan Bradley said, you know, this is such a tough program you're prescribing. We're going to actually, he didn't, I don't know that he was this direct but basically we're going to watch and see if you succeed because the un the undertone seemed to be like we weren't because it was too challenging <laughs> and a big piece of this i think was the constant touch point of our our mm -hmm. coaching you know our nutritionists so any th thoughts on that i mean I'm just, well uh, you know i think um it has to be mindful of what the person wants um and so if people want to have frequent phone calls or frequent yes. zoom Right. or text or do they just want social media uh, because it may feel burdensome yes. if it's at a level that they don't desire i so uh, how what we're proposing i i don't know yet if my irb is, has agreed with this plan what we're proposing is a monthly conference call uh, and then a access to the social media page where uh, we basically, you know, Monday through Friday, would have uh, somebody from my team getting on, answering questions, providing. Uh, and then uh, I'm, uh, we're, and again, I don't know that my IRB is going to let us do that. We encourage people to follow me on Instagram so they see, uh, you know, what I'm eating and, and getting that kind of um, uh, relationship as well. Um, we don't know. I, I don't know what the IRB is going to be okay with uh, mm -hmm. or not. So you'll have to have me come back and I'll. I'm real. I'm well, you. I'm going to see you in May also. So I'll, I'll, That's right. I'll, I'll be able to learn like. We'll find you, out. When you speak before me or after me. But yeah, of course I want to have you come back. I'm so excited about this. So um, in addition to the behavior, like I have two more questions for you. I guess one. I know folks are going to be asking me, you know, what kind of protocol are you following these days? And when you do your quote detox, what does that look like? What are some of the work oh, sure. supplements that you're doing? And then I, I want to circle back to 
so that first, and then I want to circle back to some of the other big things that you've learned over the course of this, yeah. these last years. Well, so the, the big things that I've learned is that you want to keep your insulin down, you want to keep your uh, glucose down, uh, and uh, ketosis And is what is great. that? What are those numbers? So um, ideally, you'd have your uh, fasting glucose uh, below 95, even ideally below 90, um, and you want to have your A1C ideally below 5.2, if you can, uh, below 5. That's realistic, um, I think. Uh, well, again, it depends on your, on your genetics and it your does. microbiome. Yeah, okay. Uh, and uh, it also depends on your obesogens that yep. you've got stored in your fat. Uh, now, ketosis, as much as I love ketosis, when you're in, in ketosis, that's sending a signal to the rest of your body that you're starving. Uh, and so uh, you're going to go, your thyroid hormones and your sex hormones will be suppressed to put you in yeah. sort of a quasi-hibernation state and to keep you from reproducing, although it is not reliable birth control, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so don't count on that. But it we'll does- out, We'll pull that out as a social media quote. Ketosis is yeah. not a reliable birth control. Okay, keep um, going. <laughs> but it, and there is no society that will voluntarily be in ketosis. We'll always eat more protein or eat more carbs if we get the opportunity. Wow. We, we will. I mean, that's just human. However, our, 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 our genetics have been such that if you can survive ketosis for a while, starvation, winter, famine, you will have greater reproductive success. So my interpretation of the evolutionary biology, ancestral health, functional medicine in the basic science is intermittent ketosis is really good for us. Yeah. Long-term ketosis for more than a season is probably not. Right. So my, what, what I do is um, I, uh, I do periodic fasts. So a week a month, I'm doing my fast. For a full week? For a full week. And what Five is that? What, what uh, and so, so you can either do that as a water fast, and now you need to have medical supervision, or you could do it as a calorie-restricted diet, and then you can do that without medical supervision or with less medical supervision. You probably want to have some level of supervision either way. Okay. Uh, and then uh, the other thing I like to do is to, in general, eat just one meal a day so that there's like a four hour window where I'm eating my calories. Uh, and that will, so I'm in ketosis part of most days. And I'm in a lot more ketosis for a week, uh, most months. All right. So when you say, I mean, you're in, you're into ketosis. I'm into ketosis. That's 24 seven. It's really, it's but. really good um, anti-aging. It's good yeah. uh, for your mitochondria. Uh, I, I think the uh, high fat, high dairy fat diet, uh, I don't recommend for a variety of reasons. I'd rather people do uh, olive oil or if you tolerate it, MCT oil, coconut oil. Yep. You're going to have to follow your lipids to know which one of those two fats are better. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that intermittently having more carbs is good for you. Intermittently having more um, protein is good for you. And what would those carbs, what would be your favorite carbs when you need to bump them up a smidge? Well, you know, uh, I, I, I do these, this thing known as eat more vegetables. So eat more greens, <laughs> more cabbage, more broccoli. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'm not really into, if you're going to have starchy vegetables, have them raw because your microbiome will like like them more. Um, I don't really eat that many cooked um, starchy vegetables, but I'll, I'll have them raw. 
Um, I'll have berries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, and very occasional, it's my wife's birthday tonight. So uh, we're going to have, we made an apple crisp and I'll have that with her. Uh, that'll be uh, quite lovely. So I, I will have occasional treats. Yep. Um, having a seven day fast, uh, five day fast or calorie restriction, boost your stem cells. If you yeah. make it to five days, so you get stem cells. Uh, and so that's really potent to anti-aging. What are you looking at for, for, for protein? Are you leaning towards plant-based or in, in some animal? Like what, a balance? So, um, I, I need to know what your spiritual practices are. And if, if you're committed to being a vegetarian or vegan, then we'll go down that path. Mm-hmm. If you're not committed to vegetarian or vegan, uh, then I would go down uh, the meat path. If you're doing the uh, um, uh, vegetarian path, then I'm going to want you to use an instant pot, a high pressure cooker to reduce the lectin load. Okay, so, so you would be so leaning I, on lectins, beans, and so on and so forth, yeah. Correct, correct. Um, so, it, it, and we'll talk about ways to, to, make, to manage the lectins, either soaking, sprouting, or high pressure cooking. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if spiritually that's important to you and you don't want to eat meat, um, there are ways of, of doing that. So I, I think you really want to look at the, the person's spiritual uh, point of view uh, and you want to look at their health issues and then design a program that will work for that individual. Now, when you say meat, you're not doing a meat-centric diet this is meat almost as a accessory (laughs) so so there are the carnivore diet there are people that uh, uh, are carnivore only uh, and they will identify that we have a few uh, uh, societies that are carnivores only Uh, however what they forget are these societies are eating their meat raw and the meat is wild and the meat is grass-fed and so most of the carnivores um, that are existing now are eating uh, factory farmed meat. They might be getting organic grass fed uh, wild caught, uh, but they're probably not eating uh, the meat raw. And of course, you really can't recommend raw meat uh, because of the infectious uh, disease risk and the parasite yeah. risk. Supplements. Workhorse supplement. Think what are you taking? What are you know, just what are the some so of the So I never answer thing? the question what I'm taking because I don't yeah. want people to copy that. You okay. need to do what's appropriate for you. Fair enough. I, I, I want you to know your vitamin D level. Mm-hmm. I want you to know your homocysteine level. I want you to do a nutritional exam on yourself, look at your mouth, tongue, nails, okay. and address V vitamin and mineral deficiencies based on what you see there. And then I'll want you to do uh, further evaluation based on your clinical scenarios. Um, the, th- the thing that uh, um, I-, I have Im- immense respect for is when you get uh, nutrients out of the biologic ratios, that's when we create toxicities with nutrients. That if you use synthetic yeah. forms of the, B- of the vitamins, that's when you create toxicities. Mm-hmm. If you get your nutrients from food, if they're in the biologic ratios you anticipate, yeah. you correct the deficiencies and you don't become toxic. So in general, food is vastly safer and targeted supplementation based on clinical needs and or laboratory assessment is the way to go. 
Yeah. I personally have issues with B12 uh, based on my genetics. Um, since I work inside and wear clothes, I will have issues with vitamin D. So I have to, of course, uh, measure my vitamin D. And I measure my homocysteine and I adjust my supplements based on that. And then I have a variety of other supplements I talk about in my book that, that I use based on my uh, risk profile that I have. Okay. Okay. Um, what else do I want to ask you? Um, do you, can people come to, so are you, so you're going to be recruiting for this new trial once you have so IRB So we'll be approval. recruiting for the new trial. I'm hoping that we can start in January. Uh, certainly by March, I expect that we'll be uh, starting and we'll be looking for people newly diagnosed with um, multiple sclerosis or clinically isolated syndrome. Do they need um, to be in I, Iowa or can they be remote and travel? Anywhere to? in the 48 states. Okay. Uh, over 48, they will have to come to Iowa twice. Okay. Um, at the beginning and at uh, 12 months. Uh, and we need to get you in within 12 months of your initial diagnosis. Okay. Okay. So uh, no, I, I do see, I have a handful of, uh, of patients that I see. Uh, and so uh, we do that. And then of course, this, the, the big number of people that we see are in the uh, seminar where we do this uh, group functional medicine thing. So you have a patient seminar and you've got a clinician a, we patient, training. We have a patient seminar. The, uh, and the clinicians can either come uh, to the patient seminar and stay for the uh, practice day, or they can get every, all, all the videos virtually and just stay for the practice day. Okay. And a lot of my you know, practitioners love to come to see how I run a group functional medicine consult. Because yes. it's, a, it's a pretty interesting experience to watch how I um, teach behavior change to uh, hundreds of people at a time. Wow. I'm sure it is. It's just great. All plus, right. Plus, yeah. we get to we sing and dance together. It's really fun. <laughs> I, I've seen you talk. Actually, I've gotten to talk with you before. I know. It is, it's pretty fun being in your midst. <laughs> Always. Well, listen, I just want to say this has been a, just a pleasure of a conversation. I'm just so grateful you're on our side and doing all your good work and just to know you and, yeah, support you. So thank you well, so much. You know, I, I'm grateful. It's very clear to me, had I not discovered functional medicine in the summer of 07, I'd be demented. Uh, I would be bedridden. I would probably have uh, developed intractable pain. And I would have stopped eating, drinking, uh, and refused a feeding tube. That was, you know, 11, uh, you know, uh, 12 years ago. Right. Uh, and I would have probably uh, starved to death. Uh, because that was how grim things were for me in 07. You know, uh, I was uh, clearly on the path to bedridden. Yeah. I was beginning to have brain fogs, like, okay, uh, dementia. Uh, my face pain was more and more difficult. Uh, it, it was so clear that was likely to get to the point of being permanently on. And when that happens, like, okay, there's no feeding tube. Uh, and since I can't swallow, that's going to be how that ends and now you're leading seminars across the country across probably the world, the world. <laughs> where you're singing and dancing you know, and, and so and, and so i have this moral obligation carrot to teach the public because i know how grim my future was and and you know it, it, and my neurology colleagues were so upset and actually some of my medicine colleagues were too 
that I'm that I'm talking about this stuff before my randomized double-blind controlled trials. And I'm like, you know what? I this is what I'm morally obligated to do. I will disclose where I'm at in my research that this is yeah when it was just a theory or when we just yeah. have pilot data. So yeah. I'm happy to disclose all of that and let people decide how dangerous vegetables feel, how dangerous meditation feels, and how dangerous physical therapy directed exercise feels. And if that feels too dangerous, so you want to just do conventional medicines, you know, that's fine. That's appropriate. If it feels like that's something you could do with your primary care doc, of course I want you to know how to do that. Yeah. Amen. Beautiful. And, and now my neurology colleagues are in their peer-reviewed scientific paper saying, we have to protect your brain. And to do that, you ought to be following a therapeutic diet. You ought to be meditating. You ought to be exercising. And it sure sounds like they are now saying you ought to be doing the Wallace Protocol. Right. Wow. Indeed. Yeah, they are. Are they saying your name? I'm sure some of them are. Uh, <laughs> uh, some of them are. Uh, and, and some so of them refuse. <laughs> we're, we're having a debate, should you be doing the Wallace Protocol with drugs or without drugs? That's what the next study will answer is, because we'll be comparing doing the Wallace Protocol without drugs to standard of care. Let me ask you, this, uh, I know we have, we have to come to a close here, but what about stem cell and stem cell therapy? Where are you at with that? Well, um, I get stem cells every month by my week-long fast. Okay. I think we should all be getting stem cells. Get your own fast. Okay. I talk about that in my book. Okay. Do that. Uh, the, and then I discuss the role of stem cell therapy for aggressive disease that's not resetting. Um, however, I'm also stressing if you uh, do stem cells without functional medicine, it's very temporary. And it's so expensive. And um, it's so risky. Yeah. So uh, there, there is a role for stem cells. I think we should, we should all be doing our own stem cells. That's why I think uh, I talk a lot about fasting now. Yeah. Um, I think there's a role for um, therapeutic stem cells. Mm -hmm. You for sure want to do functional medicine if you have to go down that route. Mm -hmm. uh, it's expensive. It's high risk. It's costly. But for some people, it may be necessary. Yep. Okay. Got it. We're going to link folks to the show notes with all of these things. Jerry's book, um, the study she's working on, just everything, you know, her, the trainings that she has. And uh, we'll just continue to keep you posted. Thanks so much for your, your good work. And I'm excited to see the, the new book. Thanks, Kara. And that wraps up another amazing conversation with a great mind in functional medicine. I am so glad that you could join me. None of this would be possible through the years without our generous, wonderful sponsors, including Integrative Therapeutics, Metagenics, and Biotics. These are companies that I trust and I use with my patients every single day. Visit them at integrativepro.com, bioticsresearch.com, and metagenics.com. Please tell them that I sent you and thank them for making New Frontiers in Functional Medicine possible. And one more thing, leave a review and a thumbs up on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you're hearing my voice. Um, these kind of comments will promote New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, getting the word on functional medicine out there to the greater community. And for that, I thank you. Until next time.